I exaggerate a lot, and I get fiction and reality mixed up, but I don't actually ever lie. Lucia Berlin, a manual for cleaning women, selected stories. Welcome to Bookish, a literary podcast. I'm Paul, and I hope you're all doing great as we've reached the midpoint of another week. It being Wednesday, it's also time again for our weekly author profile. Now looking back over some of the recent ones we've done, I realized I have yet to profile a female author or a short story author, or at least one who specifically wrote short stories. And given the fact that I do Short Story Saturday fairly regularly, that came as a surprise even to me. We're going to correct that today with a look at Lucia Berlin, an excellent short story writer. And as part of this episode, even though it's not Saturday, we're going to share one of her stories from her collection, A Manual for Cleaning Women. First, let's look briefly at her biography. And then we'll wrap up the episode with one of her excellent stories. Let's get bookish. Lucia Berlin was born in 1936. She worked brilliantly but sporadically throughout the 1960s, 70s, and 80s. Her stories are inspired by her early childhood in various western mining towns, her glamorous teenage years in Santiago, Chile, three failed marriages, a lifelong problem with alcoholism, her years spent in Berkeley, New Mexico, and Mexico City, and the various jobs she later held to support her writing and her four sons. Sober and writing steadily by the 1990s, she took a visiting writer's post at the University of Colorado Boulder in 1994 and was soon promoted to associate professor. In 2001, In failing health, she moved to Southern California to be near her sons. She died in 2004 in Marina del Rey. Her other books include Legacy, Angel's Laundromat, So Long, Stories 1987 to 1992, and Where I Live Now, Stories 1993 to 1998. I really encourage you to read Lucia Berlin's stories. The ones set in the West, especially in New Mexico, are very reminiscent, in tone at least, of some of Kerouac's early work. The story I'll be reading today is called Point of View, and I hope you enjoy it. Point of View by Lucia Berlin Imagine Chekhov's story, Grief, in the first person. An old man telling us his son has just died. We would feel embarrassed, uncomfortable, even bored, reacting precisely as the cabman's fares in the story did. But Chekhov's impartial voice imbues the man with dignity. We absorb the author's compassion for him and are deeply moved, if not by the son's death, by the old man talking to his horse. I think it's because we're all pretty insecure. 
I mean, if I just presented to you this woman I'm writing about now. I'm a single woman in her late 50s. I work in a doctor's office. I ride home on the bus. Every Saturday I do my laundry and then I shop at Lucky's and buy the Sunday Chronicle and go home. You'd say, give me a break. But my story opens with, every Saturday after the laundromat in the grocery store, she bought the Sunday Chronicle. You'll listen to all the compulsive, obsessive, boring little details of this woman's, Henrietta's, life, only because it's written in the third person. You'll feel, hell, if the narrator thinks there's something in this dreary creature worth writing about, there must be. I'll read on and see what happens. Nothing happens, actually. In fact, the story isn't even written yet. What I hope to do is, by the use of intricate detail, to make this woman so believable you can't help but feel for her. Most writers use props and scenery from their own lives. For example, my Henrietta eats her meager little dinner every night on a blue placemat using exquisite heavy Italian stainless cutlery. An odd detail, inconsistent it may seem, with this woman who cuts out coupons for brawny towels. But it engages the reader's curiosity. At least I hope it will. I don't think I'll give any explanation in the story. I myself eat with such elegant cutlery. Last year I ordered six place settings from the Museum of Modern Art Christmas Catalog. Very expensive, $100, but worth it, it seemed. I have six plates and six chairs. Maybe I'll give a dinner party, I thought at the time. It turned out to be, however, a hundred for six pieces. Two forks, two knives, two spoons. One place setting. I was embarrassed to send them back. Figured, well, maybe next year I'll order another one. Henrietta eats with her pretty cutlery and drinks Calistoga from a goblet. She has salad in a wooden bowl and a lean cuisine on a dinner plate. While she eats, she reads the This World section where all the articles seem to have been written by the same first person. Henrietta can't wait for Monday. She's in love with Dr. B, the nephrologist. Many nurse secretaries are in love with their doctors. Sort of a Della Street syndrome. Dr. B is based upon the nephrologist I used to work for. I certainly wasn't in love with him. I joke sometimes and say we had a love-hate relationship. He was so hateful, it must have reminded me of how love affairs get sometimes. Shirley, my predecessor, was in love with him though. She pointed out all the birthday presents she had given him. The planter with the ivy and the little brass bicycle, the mirror with the frosted koala bear, the pin set. She said she just loved all his presents, except for the furry sheepskin bicycle seat. She had to exchange it for biking gloves. In my story, Dr. B laughs at Henrietta about the seat. Is really mocking and cruel, as he most certainly could be. This will actually be the climax of the story, when she realizes the disdain he feels for her, how pitiful her love is. The day I started working there, I ordered paper gowns. Shirley used cotton ones, blue plaid for boys, pink roses for girls. Most of our patients were so old, they used walkers. Every weekend, she'd lug the laundry home on the bus and not only wash it, but starch and iron it. I have my Henrietta doing this too, ironing on Sunday after she cleans her apartment. Of course, a lot of my story is about Henrietta's habits. Habits. 
not even that they're so bad in themselves, but they go on for so long, every Saturday, year after year. Every Sunday, Henrietta reads the pink section, the horoscope first, always on page 16, the papers have it. Usually, the stars have racy things to say about Henrietta. Full moon, sexy scorp, and you know what that means. Get set to sizzle. On Sundays, after cleaning and ironing, Henrietta makes something special for dinner. A Cornish game hen, stovetop stuffing and cranberry sauce, creamed peas, a forever yours for dessert. After she washes the dishes, she watches 60 Minutes. It's not that she's particularly interested in the program. She likes the staff. Diane Sawyer, so well-bred and pretty, and the men are all solid and reliable and concerned. She likes it when they look worried and shake their heads, or when it's a funny story, they smile and shake their heads. Most of all, she likes the shots of the big watch, the minute hand, and the click, click, click of the time. Then she watches Murder, She Wrote, which she doesn't like, but there's nothing else on. I'm having a hard time writing about Sunday, getting the long, hollow feeling of Sundays. No mail and faraway lawnmowers, the hopelessness. Or how to describe Henrietta's eagerness for Monday morning, the tick-tick of his bicycle pedals and the click when he locks his door to change into his blue suit. Have a nice weekend, she asks. He never answers. He never says hello or goodbye. At night, she holds the door open for him as he's walking out with his bike. Goodbye. Have a good one, she smiles. A good what? For Christ's sake, stop saying that. But no matter how nasty he is to her, Henrietta believes there's a bond between them. He has a club foot, a severe limp, whereas she has scoliosis, a curvature, a hunchback, in fact. She's self-conscious and shy, but understands how he can be so caustic. Once, he told her she had the two qualifications for being a nurse, stupid and servile. After murder, she wrote, Henrietta takes a bath, pampering herself with floral-scented bath beads. She watches the news then, as she smooths lotion on her face and hands. She's put water on for tea. She likes the weather report. The little suns above Nebraska and North Dakota, rain clouds over Florida and Louisiana. She lies in bed, sipping sleepy time tea. She wishes she had her old electric blanket with the switch low, medium, hot. The new blanket was advertised as the intelligent electric blanket. The blanket knows it isn't cold, so it doesn't get hot. She wishes it would get hot, comforting. It's too smart for its own good. She laughs out loud. The sound is startling in the little room. She turns off the TV and sips her tea listening to cars pulling in and out of the Arco station across the street. Sometimes a car stops with a screech at the telephone booth. A car door slams, and soon the car speeds away. She hears someone drive up slowly to the phones. Loud jazz music comes from the car. Henrietta turns off the light, raises the blind by her bed just a little. The window is steamed. The car radio plays Lester Young. The man talking on the phone holds it with his chin. He wipes his forehead with a handkerchief. I lean against the cool windowsill and watch him. I listen to the sweet saxophone play polka dots and moonbeams. In the steam of the glass, I write a word. What? My name? A man's name? 
Henrietta, love, whatever it is, I erase it quickly before anyone can see. today's episode of Bookish. I hope you found it both informative and entertaining. If you'd like to keep episodes like this coming, I'd also like you to consider supporting us by clicking the support this podcast link on the anchor site. For as little as 99 cents a month, you can keep episodes like this coming and also help us get to the point where we're completely ad-free. Thanks again.